Hey, if you are three years old to third grade, you can come on up here like we did last week, and we'll have a little bit of a conversation together. So here's the deal. Last week, you, do you guys remember what we kind of talked about last week about being salt and light, right? And so this week uh, with, your, uh, with your parents, I'm going to be talking about, the, about leaving results up to God, but, having, but understanding that we have the power inside of us that the Holy Spirit gives to us, right? And so prayer is hugely important and how uh, we look at prayer a little bit, right? Have you guys, do you guys remember when Jesus goes to his disciples and he says this to them? He says, you guys want me to leave so that you can have the power of the Holy Spirit to guide you and direct you in your life, right? And so we see in Acts that they prayed for the Holy Spirit to come to help them live their, live their life out with God. And so I want to talk to you a little bit, just a little bit briefly about what prayer does. Did you know that God answers prayer in three ways? He answers prayer by saying yes. Right? Sometimes we see that. Hey, yes. I, some of you have maybe even prayed for a bike and you all of a sudden got a bike, right? Sometimes there's a yes. God also answers no, right? I've been asking for a Ferrari for years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a Ferrari, a really fast car. Yeah, just drive around the parking lot here. Have you seen the loop? I know. And the third one, the third way that God answers prayer sometimes is by saying this. He says, not yet, wait. And sometimes we have to have that, have to have that ability to say that. Now, I want to talk to you today about a little bit about the power that is within your guys' prayers. If we have the Holy Spirit in us and, and we read Scripture that says, hey, we have power through the Holy Spirit, I don't know if I'm necessarily talking about the power in which we say, God, I pray for a pony and bam, it's there, right? No, I, I, don't, think I'm, I don't think I'm talking about that. I'm talking about the power in which, guess what? Every time we pray to God, whether we, um, whether we ask for a prayer um, or whether we absolutely, it's the right thing to ask for, I think we have the power to know and trust that God has everything under control, that we can have joy in every answer that God gives us, whether it's yes or whether it's no or whether it's wait. Now, I want to give you a little bit of an example of that, okay? Have you guys ever had Coke before in your life? This is Diet Coke. Have you guys ever had Diet Coke? Yeah. If, if you've ne- ah, good, good. <laughs> We don't let our kids have Diet Coke. But uh, did you know that this is Tim Phillips' favorite drink in the world? The guy that sits up here and sings and leads us in worship, he loves Diet Coke. And I was going to give this to him today, but I think that I'm not going to. I'm going to do something different. Yeah, what? I know, that's right. So, but have you guys, have you guys ever seen what Diet Coke does and what... Mentos do in Diet Coke, right? Now, just to let you know, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. I'm just joking. That's not true. I'm going to, I didn't talk to the trustees about this, but we're going to do this, but not, not right now. But I want to show you guys a little bit of a video. So if you look on the screens behind you, I'm going to show you a little bit of a video of what happens when you put Mentos and Diet Coke together. So here you go. 
So just like when you put Mentos in Diet Coke, I think this is what happens, is that when we trust that God has everything together and that we know that the Holy Spirit is with us, we can explode with joy in whatever the circumstance is, right? And so here's the deal. All of you guys today get a bottle of Diet Coke and a Mentos. No, I'm just joking. Uh, What's going to happen is Brad Marlene. Um, is after church today going to take this Diet Coke bottle and he's going to go outside to the front entryway in the lawn out there. And so after church, you guys are going to go out there and you're going to explode this bottle of Doctor or of Diet Coke and Mentos out there with each other. So you guys can go out there. All I could think of in that video was how sticky those guys are, right? And so uh, we, we want to make sure that um, Brad does it for us. But I do have something for you. Every single one of you is going to take Mentos home with you, and if you can keep from eating them during the church service, you can get your parents to buy you a bottle of Diet Coke, and you can do it at home by yourselves too, okay? You know, I used to be afraid, uh, I used to think that it would be really scary to uh, speak to adults. Um, You just try speaking to kids. You're all of a sudden like, oh my goodness, what am I going to say? Or, yeah. But anyway, uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you flip open with me to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Last week, we uh, had a conversation to the church about uh, what it looks like for us to be salt and light as, as, um, as Christ followers. And one of the things that kind of uh, popped up in uh, a conversation afterwards was this, is can you be too salty? Can you be too salty? And so I started thinking about that this week, and, and I asked a guy, I said, I went up to them and I said, can you be too salty? And his response was, well, based on your sermon last week, it all kind of depends upon what salt you're trying to be. And I started thinking about that a little bit and going back to, hey, how it's a preservative and how it cleanses and then how it seasons. Um, I started thinking about if we want to be salt in all those areas, yeah, if you are going to be a preservative, yeah, you could probably put too much salt on because then the salt doesn't work anymore. And then I thought about cleansing the same exact thing, but then I thought about seasoning a little bit. And I started going through the process of, well, could you be too salty then in terms of seasoning. And then I came to the conclusion that if God is asking us about loving one another and taking care of one another, that means that we should always be cognizant of the seasoning we're giving. If we have too much, then we say, hey, I'm sorry, maybe I did that wrong. If we had too little, nothing is affected or really changed. We kind of say it's tasteless and doesn't really change much. But when we are led by love, I think we season completely. We season it just right. And then I came across this testimony video that I want to show you today about people who some would say maybe were too salty, too much seasoning, but in this lady's life, it was just the right amount of seasoning. So check this video out. I was about 35, it was about seven years ago, and um, I was pretty deep in addiction, um, drugs and alcohol, and I was in a relationship that was um, really abusive, severely abusive, and 
I took a car, well, the, I asked to borrow it, and I told him I was going around the corner, and around the corner was three states away. And we wound up getting pulled over here in Glasgow, Montana. I, just, I think I just wanted out so bad that I was willing to take whatever measures it took to get away from the situation that I was in that I resorted to doing, taking this person's car and initially um, they, the car was reported stolen. So we were, we were booked into jail, I mean, obviously. And then um, that's how he came here. Not on the best circumstances, but now when I look back on it, I feel like uh, it was God saying, this is your chance. This is it. This is, this is what you've been waiting for for 35 years. So here it is. And I just feel like um, it was the best chance that he's ever given me. I remember sitting on a porch after I got out of jail. I was like, how am I gonna do this? I have $100 to my name. I know nobody in this town, not a soul. Not one person, nobody. And I got $100 to my name, what am I gonna do? And I was just like remembering, um, looking up, and I'm like, God, it, just give me one sign, please, give me one sign that everything's gonna be okay, no matter what, no matter what. And right about that time I was looking up, I seen a shooting star, so there it was. You know what I mean, that was enough for me. I wound up in this little town here and some friends introduced and some friends introduced me to some ladies at this church and I was so broken and um, fearful to make um, friendships and relationships with other people because of my past and the women just picked me up and started loving me when I needed it the most, when I didn't feel like I was worthy of it, when I was just so beaten down emotionally and physically that I didn't feel like the Life was even worth living. And they just picked me up and loved me and made me feel like I was worth something. And pushed me to do better and do better and do better, and I did. I just, I, can't, I don't even know if there's words to express um, how much gratitude I have for them. I, um, I thank God for putting them in my life. Even if I was standoffish at first, they just kept coming, kept coming back and just kept loving me. And I, I just, I didn't get it for a long time. You know what I mean? I was just like, why are they doing this? And they just kept loving me. And pretty soon I, I could just feel my shell, you know, slowly, even though I was so scared to let it all down. And they just kept loving me, making me a part and Mike and Lorraine, like a huge part of my, a huge part of my life, you know, a huge part of um, Marge, Mary Christensen, all of them just loved me, and they never made me feel judged, you know, because, I mean, like I said, when I first came here, I was in the midst of a really bad addiction, so I didn't look the best, but they never made me feel judged, like I was judged. I used to always think, you know. Well, people would give their testimonies and they say how God saved their lives. And I was like, yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. That's so full of it. But then now I sit here and here I am. God did save my life. And here I am able to tell my story about how he saved my life and gave me a second chance. So I'm one of those people that I used to say that there's no way that that could have happened.
I couldn't ask for a better life. Oftentimes I sit back and I just stare out my living room window thinking about where I was seven years ago and how, um, how desperate and how broken I was and how I thought life would never be anything but what it's always been. This horrible, you know, just stretch of tragedy after tragedy. And here it is, like the best it's ever been. Like I don't feel broken anymore like I did, you know what I mean? I feel whole for the first time in my life. So in answer to the question, can you be too salty? My response would be then it's not salt. It is out of judgment, it is out of anger, it is out of a sense of duty to make somebody change what um, you think they should change. It's not out of love. Because I think when we have the baseline of love, then it is the right amount of seasoning. And it's the right amount of beckoning, and it's the right amount of saying, hey, uh, Jesus is the answer. And so keep that in mind as you go walking about in terms of what we've been saying this whole entire time through our uh, Book of Acts series of just going, we are to be witnesses. Just like in Acts 1-8, every single week we read it together and it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the whole point of the church. The whole point of the church is not to just be a holy huddle and not to just say, hey, look at us, we're amazing, but to be witnesses about God absolutely everywhere we go. And we switched a little gears because last week we, we'll switch, sorry, we're going to switch gears a little bit to today because last week we talked about Antioch. Now we go back into Jerusalem and, and focus a little bit on Jerusalem because God is doing some things to set up uh, his church and, and we don't really see it until the very end. I think God gives uh, a little bit more of, to, I would say maybe one more chance for Israel to catch on to this picture of God saving the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And we find it actually in, uh, well, chapter 1, there's a, or chapter 12, sorry. Uh, there is a guy by the name of King Herod Agrippa. Now, you've heard King Herod's name before, okay? Uh, King Herod the Great, um, you've heard in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he was the king of Israel at the time who uh, sent out the decree that he would kill every firstborn child, or sorry, every child that is under the age of one, right? Just because, hey, we don't want the Messiah growing up. So now we get all the way to Acts here, and we get to a guy by the name King Herod Agrippa, which happens to be the great-great-grandson of King Herod the Great. There's a lot of greats in that one, okay? But something that, I, that you need to, before we get into all of this, is a couple of things. Uh, in 41 AD, so this is where we're at right now in 41 AD, okay? Uh, King Herod was given, uh, actually, no, this is, sorry, three years. This story right here is in 44 AD. But in 41 AD, King Herod was given uh, Galilee, Perea, and Samaria, 
and also Jerusalem and all those things. And so never since, so this is something we need to kind of wrap our minds around. Never since the days of David and Solomon had the kingdom been that large. It had actually been united for the first time in over a thousand years under King Herod. And so not only do you have prior to that, okay, uh, prior to those years of King Herod, you have a guy by the name of Jesus who died on the cross and a whole entire movement has happened because of him, because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, raising again, and these people are moving and saying, look, the Messiah is here. And the rest of Israel is saying, look, the Messiah might be here because it actually might be Herod because he has united all of this stuff together like nobody else has done for us. And in fact, actually, they say that if King Herod Agrippa could play his cards right, he would probably become emperor because he was great friends with Claudius and Caligulus, Caligula. And so you have this culture that is back in Jerusalem. So the, we've seen the Christian world is just taking things by storm in every other place, in Samaria, in uh, like all the other towns, in Joppa like we talked about, in Antioch, and uh, back in Tarsus with Paul. And so we see that the, the Christian faith is just booming in all these other areas. And for some reason, Jerusalem is still stuck with this idea that we're waiting for a Messiah still. That even above all the wonders and signs that are going on and what's happening, they're still trying to look for something else other than what's right in front of them. And so when we read this story today, I I want to maybe put ourselves in a position that maybe we're not so far from that. Maybe we're not so far from these people who are wishing that their kingdom would be great again, that everybody would be united, that we could do something that's absolutely unbelievable if we just could come together. Maybe there's a different kingdom out there, which is the kingdom of God. And so as we look at these things this morning, I want you to put yourself in this position to go, and out of everything I've seen, everything I've heard... The kingdom of God is the one I want to attach myself to. So let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we open up your word, there are so many things around us. I think about our country. I think about the countries around the world. I think about global leaders. I think about all of these things that are, that are going on and happening around us. And God, sometimes we have these ideas in our mind, if this, this could happen or this could happen, then everything would be so much better. But Lord, your, your word says that we need to seek you and we need to follow you. And that's in that place, in that moment, we find our true hope in you. And so God, would this story not be any different, that it continually points us back to you over and over again. Lord, help us to glorify you in everything we do. In your name we pray, amen. Yeah, way to be. 
So we start out this story right away with King Herod, and here's the whole entire point, is he is trying to get people to be on his side. And so verses one through five say this. It says, and about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads and four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. This is one of the first times that we see martyrdom happen in the disciples. Uh, James the brother of John, which, by the way, you, we've heard James before over and over again. This is not the person who wrote the book of James. In fact, actually, uh, the person who wrote the book of James was Jesus' brother, who uh, actually kind of denied Jesus while he was living and then kind of started going, no, Jesus is the, the way to follow. And so he's got amazing book, but that's not the James we're talking about. Today, we're talking about uh, James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee or the sons of thunder, if you also remember, uh, they were so close to Jesus that uh, his, their mom would, came one time to Jesus and said, hey, when you die and you set up your throne and my sons die, can they be to the left and right of you when you come to power? This is the friend of Jesus that walked with him everywhere. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane with him. He was the guy that fell asleep when uh, Jesus said, hey, would you just pray with me? He was the guy that was in the room uh, when he told Tabitha to rise. He was the guy that was right next to Jesus when he told Lazarus to come out of the grave. He was one of Jesus' top three. If you remember back in the day when you could pick your top five people on your cell phone and you could call them completely minutes free, this would be one of those people for Jesus. James was with him always. And James would also have been one of the highest people, if you will, if there was levels of disciples. And right in front of everybody's eyes, just like this, Herod has the power to arrest him and kill him right away. Not so much of a huge trial or, or a, uh, well, we, there would be a trial, but it's probably a fake trial. And Herod just goes, nope, he's dead. So right away, you've got one of your top three guys arrested and killed in a mock trial. And now Peter is arrested. And so the only thing that you know is going to happen is that Peter is going to die. And what does the church do? The church responds in prayer. The church responds in prayer. You see, I, I, I think this is kind of a lot like the situations we deal with today. Christians deal with situations all the time, cancer in a loved one unemployment and an, an, an inability to find a good job, maybe trying to turn a stray son or daughter back to the Lord. Maybe a lot of us are sitting here also thinking we need to reverse the tidal, tide, uh, the tide waves 
of evil in our country. We're sickened by abortion and murder and open immorality around us. And what does it cause us to do as a church family? See, I wish that I could say that God does the impossible when we pray hard enough. But I think today as we dive into this that it's more complicated than that. It's more complicated than that. I think I'm reminded of when we come into perils and trials by saying, have we solidified that God is sovereign over all things and He's got everything under control? Do we believe that God can take care of us when trials and tribulations come, even if the answer is no? I think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're sitting in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, if you don't bow to my statue, I'm throwing you into the fire. Even at imminent death, these people say, you need to know something. You need to know that we won't ever worship you. But you also need to know that even if our God doesn't save us, we're still He's still good. We're not going to worship you at all. In the moments of hard times, I think that's where we get to the point of really realizing, what are we praying for? Are we praying that God just does take care of all sort of hard troubles, or do we just go, God, here's what we do need, but you but we know we can trust you. But you are sovereign over all things. And what does sovereignty mean? It means this, that God knows all things, has got control of all things, and he, at the very end, is going to be glorified. And so the very first note with me this morning, if you're taking notes, is this, is be honest. Be honest and tell God what you need. Be honest and tell God what is needed. In this very moment, the church starts praying, and we have no clue what the church prays for. We don't know if the church is praying that God uh, would all of a sudden save Peter. We don't know if the church is praying that while Peter's about to die, that he would face it with dignity and that he'd be able to preach the word of God. We don't know um, if they were praying that God would just uh, snatch him out of the jail cell and take him straight up to prison, so he, or straight up to heaven. Yikes, I just called heaven prison. Sorry, y'all. That's not what I meant. Um, but I, I look at this story, and I just think there's all of these possibilities that the church could be praying for. And the biggest thing is this, is that they were honest to tell God exactly what they wanted and what they needed. Somebody wrote me a note when I did the um, kind of the healing uh, story. They wrote me a note. They said, God might not have answered my prayers, but it was the best way to glorify Him through not healing me. And I think to myself going, that's exactly what this is all about, is the miracle is in us coming alongside and going, God, you give us power to face anything and everything as things come along. 
And so we only need to come to the point of going, I'm going to pray. Because God gives wisdom and direction in prayer. And wouldn't you know that whatever they prayed, and I, I don't know, but God goes above and beyond their expectations. In this certain sense. So in verse six, 6 through 11, it says, The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to wake, awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the first and they passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. Could you imagine experiencing this? One of the things that my, my brother-in-law loved to do to his children when they would fall asleep is he would get them out of bed and he would stand them straight up and then he would let them go, right? And they would just fall over. And they did like videos of this. It was pretty funny. I mean, they, guys, they let a mattress be. They didn't like put them on a hardwood floor. I saw some of you guys go, oh my gosh. But anyway, but the other day, uh, my son had some friends over, and I didn't ask to share this story. I hope they're okay with it. But the other day, they were just like, hey, just let me, uh, I'll, I'll wake up in a little bit, and I'll do what I need to do to get ready for bed, but just let me watch this movie. And so they fell asleep, and I went to them, and I kind of kicked them a little bit. Hey, get up. And they just kind of stared at me and looked at me, and they fell right back, right back asleep. I was like, hey, let's go. Like, <laughs> I probably... I, in retrospect, after telling this story, I probably should have been like, hey, buddy, let's wake up. But junior hires, get up. But man, had no clue. I asked him the next morning. I said, hey, do you remember me waking you up? He's like, okay, kind of, right? Like, can you imagine what Peter is experiencing at this very moment? He's experienced this point where he's fast asleep and this bright light shows up and he's experienced lots of other things with God, of visions before, and now he's sitting here going, wait a second, this is crazy. I'm chained between two guards. My chains fall off and I can walk out. Sometimes God goes far above and beyond what we expect. And so when we pray, I think we come to this point of trusting in God's sovereignty and God's goodness. And once again, what I meant by God's sovereignty, you can put that note up for me if you will. Perfect. And what I, what, once again I mean by God's sovereignty is this, is that He is the creator and sustainer of all of this. He is absolutely perfect in His nature. And so do we trust in his goodness and his sovereignty or do we not? 
the story that, or the song that we sung at the very beginning was, even when the answer is no, all the promises of God, I'll find their yes. And I know I've shared this story with you before, but I'm going to share it again because it was probably one of the most groundbreaking things for my faith. When we were in seminary, one of my professors asked us the question. He said, hey, if you were to leave today, right now, and you were to pray for safety on your way home, are you more or less likely to get into an accident? And so we had a conversation on that one question for the next three days. Because the, the answer isn't as simple as it is. Because if you say, if you say no, you're not, you're not more likely to get into an accident. What if you do get into an accident? What happens then? If you say yes, now I'm giving you a short Cliff's notes. If you say yes, then why do you pray? And it came down to the conclusion that we pray because we trust that God is good, and we trust that God takes care of all things. And so no matter what's happening in our lives, whether we do get into that accident or whether we don't get into that accident, at every single moment, we can choose to glorify God. We can choose to bring Him the most glory to show people the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so when we are honest and tell God what is needed, do we trust it or when it doesn't happen, do we go, see, I don't know why I even prayed in the first place. Because there's still going to be things that happen to us all around that we're probably going to go, wait a second, maybe God isn't good. But we can trust in it. Over and over again, God proves himself in Scripture and through the church and through people walking their faith with God. I mean, we saw the testimony today, and we're going to continue to see more testimonies as things come out. But over and over again, we see God's goodness. Are we willing to pay attention to it? Are we willing to trust in it? And then the story goes on into probably one of the most comical stories that uh, I love in the Scripture, and it starts in verse 12, and it says, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark. Completely different Mary. There's so many Marys in the Bible, I can't keep them straight, but this is a completely different Mary. The mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rada or Rhoda, came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. The guy just broke himself out of, well, God broke him out of prison, and God can't even help him into his friend's house. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued to knock. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He, mentioned, he motioned for them to keep quiet and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. You 
Here's a part of the story that kind of baffled me for a little bit because, first of all, like, when we pray, what are our expectations? Did they assume, did the church assume that they probably will not see Jesus or they will not see Peter again? Do they realize that they have power in their prayer? And there's other things in this story that I, that I really loved is do we surround ourselves with believers who are concerned about the things we're concerned about and pray? Does God control our lives? Do we believe that prayer brings well, that prayer has power in it. Why are we shocked when somebody says, hey, Peter's standing right outside the door, and everybody's like, you're crazy, that can't happen. It's kind of like that guy who gets the lottery, the winning lottery ticket, and he's sitting there going, no way, no way, no way. Yeah, it's possible. It happens. People win the lottery every once in a while. But it's almost like there's such unbelief because either we don't understand the nature of who God is or understand what God is calling us into that, wait a second, we can pray and God does answer. Which makes me kind of think that all they wanted to pray for is that God would make it easy for Peter to die. And they're so shocked. They're so shocked that Peter is standing right there. And even to the fact that they just say, it must be somebody else. It must be Peter's angel. And I'm not going to get into huge reference of that, except for I probably tend to believe that that is, um, some people say that, uh, some theologians look at the, that Peter probably would have had somebody standing outside making sure that he was okay in jail. And so it would be his messenger, if you will. And so that's kind of, that reference isn't used uh, a whole lot in, um, that word isn't used a whole lot in the rest of the New Testament. And so it tends to believe, hey, it must be their messenger saying, hey, Peter's okay. Peter's going to be fine. But instead, Peter's out there. And can you imagine the panic that Peter has? He has just broken out of prison, and it's not like a nice little knock, right? It's not like this, hello, right? I'm sure he's pounding on the door going, would you please let me in because there's guards going to come and chase me down so that they're going to then put this charge on me that says I broke out of jail. And then he tells them, shh, quiet. Don't be so overjoyed. Let's keep moving on. Let me tell you what's going on. And so... A question, and actually it's not a question in your, uh, in your notes, but do you realize the power in the followers of Christ? Do we realize the power in the followers of Christ? I want you to ask yourself this week as, as you kind of walk with God this week is, God, do I, do I know that you've gifted me with power through the Holy Spirit. It's not, to, it's not the Shazam type power, right, where all of a sudden we become a different superhero, right? It's not the, uh, 
It's not the Oprah power of you get a car and everybody else gets a car. It is the power that we have the ability to take everything we're experiencing a little at a time and go, okay, God's walking with us. I can choose to praise God no matter what is happening. And then the story switches on us a little bit. In verse 18, it says, And at dawn there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterwards, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. I'm going to keep reading. Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant, and an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, It's the voice of God, not of a man. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with his sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. And right away, if you're taking notes with me, here it is. He is God and we are not. So this is kind of what's going on is King Agrippa puts on his royal robe and he goes into the temple that day and the, the order of kind of order of service is, is they keep passing the scroll down to uh, the high priest, which is supposed to be the king. And so Herod Agrippa reads all of these things and then the people instantly shout to him, you are our savior, you are God. And unlike Peter in the previous chapter that we read um, about him doing some healings, unlike Peter, which Peter says, no, I'm not God, absolutely not God, you should not be worshiping me, Herod Agrippa says, yep, that's okay, you can worship me because look at all that I've done. Not only have I killed James, one of the leaders, and you guys are all happy with me, but I've united all these lands. I give all your countries food. I, 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 I do this. Which is complete contrast to what Jesus preached all over the New Testament. If, if Agrippa is saying, look at me for what I can give to you and, and what I have, Jesus says this in the New Testament. He says, those who are willing to lose their life for my sake will find it. That's where the real life happens, are those who are willing to give Christ their life. They're willing to understand that Christ died on a cross for a completely different reason than just making a kingdom great. Jesus was about showing the world that God 
is truly who he says he is, that God's ways are so much higher, that God desires a relationship with us, that he would send his son to die on a cross for our sins, and that those sins would be forgiven for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it's all about Jesus alone, through grace alone, and by faith alone. This is what the rest of the world sees all around them because even when, Jew, even when the Jewish leader dies right in front of them and the Jews are wanting their nation to become great again, the Word of God is spreading out everywhere else and it's coming, it's bringing more and more believers all the time because they're seeing a different kingdom than the kingdom they live in. The kingdom of God now expands to the Gentiles and not the Jews, actually. We see it completely transferred over, and we're going to start looking in verse 13 where now we're leaving Jerusalem, and a lot of leaders would say, hey, this was, Jew, this was uh, Israel's final ability to be able to say, no, God is, God is our leader, not Herod, not somebody who's going to make us great again or bring everything together. And instead, they turned their eyes to a man and said, this is God. This is the voice of a God. What's funny is, is 30 years later, the Jewish temple is destroyed. Completely, all of Israel is completely scattered. And they just don't, they seem to be without a home. And God's plan actually kind of goes quiet in the Jewish nation, Israel. And so we want to look at this story and we want to think, oh man, I wish I could be like Peter and see chains fall off, or I wish that I had the power of the church or, or any of these things. But I, I think when I read this, I come up with these four that in everything I do, I want to be honest with God and say, God, this is what I need for my daily life. This is what I, what I need you to step into if you can, Lord. And God, I'm going to trust in your sovereignty and your goodness. And I want to know that there is power in the believers together so I can share my life with one another and I can, and I can grow in my relationship with God through being with other believers. And when life gets really hard, in which we're going to talk about next week, when life gets really hard and things around us don't go our way, that we can realize that He is God and we are not. So that the whole point is, is that God's kingdom grows, and it's not our kingdom. So I'm going to ask the worship band to come forward, and we're going to sing our final song, which is, Here's My Heart, Lord. And maybe there's some times where you haven't believed in God's goodness this week or you've seen some things that you're just like, how, how good can God be? Or you still keep on questioning, well, wait a second, this is what happened to me and I thought you said God was good. Or I can't believe in a God that allows X, Y, and Z. Or it seems like God's believers are just blind people who don't understand what they believe. In this song, 
I hope that you can maybe sit down and just ask the question, where is my heart? Have I been honest with God about what I need? Or do I just think, God, you can't take care of that. And so I just keep on trying to figure out every other aspect of my life to make it all fit. Maybe you have prayed and you really don't want the answer that God has for you. And so you really don't trust the sovereignty of God. Maybe you've pulled yourself away from the body of believers because they, you think that they're going to judge you or you think that they may not have anything good to say to you or you don't want to bother them because they're so much busy and they really don't want to pray for me. Maybe you've been trying to be Lord of your life for a really long time and God is trying to get your attention this week by saying, wait a second, I'm, I'm God and you're not. Would you just trust me? And then when the answer is yes, I can praise him and say, absolutely, God is good. And when the answer is no, I can praise him and say, God is good because, because ultimately it's about his kingdom. And when he says, wait, I can praise him because I know that his promises will come to fruition. And so would you give God the glory this morning just by singing, here's my heart, Lord. When we get into that position of just allowing God to have our heart, we know he's got everything under control and we can follow him and we can look towards him for our hope. So let's pray. Hey, dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that we can give you our hearts. And we, um, Lord, we know we've messed up. We know that we still have to face the consequences of what, what we've done to walk away from you. But God, would you help us to know that you are good and that you can walk through us in every circumstance. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. I love you all. Have a good rest of the day.